the biggest question all the family businesses are asking around the world is how do we make sure we survive the pandemic and what does our business now look like? Hi, my name is Kara Myers and welcome to the Travel Business Lounge. Each week, I chat with women who have built incredible businesses in the travel and tourism industry. You'll hear their inspirational stories of success. So we went from 2,000 a month to about 70, 72,000 a month um, in that span of, of nine years. And struggle. I wish that I could tell you that I pivoted really quickly and like jumped back on my feet and I did it. And what they learned along the way. Give yourself the grace of knowing that it's not going to happen overnight and you're going to make a ton of mistakes. And as long as you learn from them and move forward, that's okay. So grab a coffee, hit subscribe, and get ready to learn and feel inspired. Hey everyone, welcome back to the Travel Business Lounge, the place where we celebrate and learn from female entrepreneurs in the travel industry. Today's episode is a great one for anyone looking for inspiration on how to course correct when things go wrong in business. The last two years have put an incredible strain on the travel industry and businesses around the world have had to innovate to survive. This ability to be dynamic and adapt is absolutely essential in this environment. I don't think anyone does that better than Priyanka Zielinski. She is the chief financial officer of DC by Foot, a name that may sound familiar as it's the walking tour company where I first got my start in the travel industry way back in early 2012. In episode one, you also heard from Canon Arseniega, who is one of the owners of Free Tours by Foot. And in that episode, we talked all about how she built this incredible empire of name your own price tours and how that business model works. And of course, we also talked about how she grew her business from just 2,000 bookings per month to over 70,000 bookings per month up until the start of COVID. In today's episode, Pri and I speak specifically about DC and the strategies she applied to save that business. And I'll tell you now, it involves completely reimagining their business model. We also talk about how she went on to found Dubai by foot and the ways in which she had to quickly adapt her business once becoming more familiar with some of the cultural nuances of the city. And finally, we also chat about her new book, The Ultimate Family Business Survival Guide, which speaks on the pandemic, but also more specifically on what family businesses in India need to do to survive. Pri is a master of adapting businesses in difficult situations, and I think she offers a lot of incredible insight. Hope you all enjoy my conversation with Pri today and feel a bit more inspired to look at your business and think critically about how you can make even the smallest change to transform the way your business runs today. But without further ado, let's get into it. Here is Priyanka Zielinski. All right, everyone, welcome back to the Travel Business Lounge. Today, I am super excited because I am joined by Priyanka Zielinski. Uh, she is, she's got so many titles. She is the CFO of DC by Foot, the founder of Dubai by Foot. She is the author of a new book called The Ultimate Family Business Survival Guide. She is, or was named the Woman Entrepreneur of the Year in 2012. I also, of course, personally got my start in tourism with DC by Foot as a tour guide in Washington, D.C., but I left the company in 2015. I moved to London at that time, and Priyanka joined the company in 2015. So we were kind of like, what's the saying? Ships passing in the night. Didn't have a chance to get to know each other too much, so I'm looking forward to, to finally uh, having that opportunity now. So thank you for being on the podcast. I'm really excited to have you here, and let's hear a little bit about Pri. 
Thank you so much for having me. I am so excited to be a part of your podcast. Uh, the tourism industry travel has been my greatest passion. And I, I ended up in this work through marriage. You know, my husband was working in the tourism business and he was one of the co-founders of DC by Foot. And it, it really introduced me to a whole new business. I was working in a very different uh, industry before that. And just as we were building DC by foot with my husband and his business partners, like you mentioned, Candon, as we were building the company, COVID hit and we had to completely um, change our models. So I think we've all been forced to think outside the box. And thankfully, I come from a finance background. I used to help my family business, um, which was in steel manufacturing in India, with finances and number crunching. So I was able to bring that thinking hat to DC by foot and help the founders course correct and figure out what we need to do, first of all, to survive the pandemic and then to continue to grow uh, after the pandemic. And I am from India. I was born and raised there, but I was educated in the US. And as luck would have it, ended up marrying an American which brought me from Mumbai to Washington, D.C., and then to Dubai. So I lead a very interesting life. <laughs> you know, in one day, I cover business talks and dealings in India, Dubai, and Washington, D.C. So it's very exciting, and it's also exciting to see tourism bounce back. So thank you for having me one more time. I'm very happy to share anything that you're interested in. Great. Well, yeah, let's definitely get into it. I'm really looking forward, especially you have such an interesting background and being able to compare those different business markets just based on where you've lived. I'd love to learn more about that as well. Uh, but first, let's just dive right into how DC by Foot has transitioned and why have you decided to make this transition to selling paid tours? So one of the things that many people don't know about DC by Foot is that we are the leading name your price walking tour company of Washington, D.C. with a very long track record of doing these fantastic curated tours. But we have always had an arm of private tour offerings, which were, have always been paid tours. And these could be a paid tour or a private tour organized any time of day with any customized itinerary for a family, for a couple, for a school, an organization, a corporate. So we always had... Um, a revenue stream coming from private and the ratios changed, but that, that business was a part of our offerings from the very beginning. What happened in the pandemic, you know, caught us by surprise is that it affected the core of our business, which was group gatherings outside uh, because the pandemic basically made that impossible. And the model also evolved because the volumes that we would see in terms of daily bookings and high season bookings completely dropped. So we were dealing with sometimes 30% of the volumes that we were seeing before the pandemic. So the model does not work efficiently. We do not get the return that we are expecting to conduct a two-hour tour with a guide who is now relying on the per tip rate of that small group to be significantly higher. So that name your price model, which is supposed to make tourists have affordable experiences is no longer affordable. One and two just don't get those kinds of crowds coming in. 
So we had to alter the model and then we had to first think internally, how are we going to explain and win stakeholder confidence in doing that? And our argument was, if we are straight with people, our guests who have trusted us over and over, they're going to see that this makes sense. And uh, we explained it. We said, as a company and as guides ourselves, we have been without income for over 16 months. This model is not working, but we are bringing to you a very customized, small group, safe experience where you can enjoy a tour outside with just one guide and about eight or nine of you. And and you will have to now buy a ticket for that because that's where we are shifting to. You won't believe it, Kara. We got no resistance. So People good. understood where we were coming from. They were happy to pay for the tour. And, and nobody, you know, we internally debated it way longer than having to explain to any of our guests. And, you know, the guides welcomed it because we were willing to give them continuous work, which hadn't happened. And we were willing to conduct a tour, even if two guests booked the tour. So we were, we were willing to take a hit, even if, you know, the tour just broke even or, or did not break even to start the cycle of being visible outside and have the tour guides go out and have work. And our website is popular. Our reviews are popular. And so many of these reviews happen on third-party websites. So we understood that standing on the shoulders of giants could be a really good way to prop ourselves. And these giants in the industry, as you know, in the online travel industry, are Expedia, Viator, TripAdvisor, Airbnb experiences, Get Your Guide, and so on. And we had very good working relationships with these OTAs in the past, but because our tours were usually full, we would allocate a very small inventory to those listings. As we started to give them more availability and you know more frequency of tours, our tours, our tour guides are really passionate. You know that. You were part of the team. Our reviews started to pile up. The traction to the OTA started to get really good. The algorithm likes us. It shows us for all the searches. And we saw that we were bouncing back much faster than we expected. That's so good to hear. And I think for a lot of people working in the travel industry, for a lot of tourism businesses, it can feel hopeless at times. But I think as long as you can adapt and that you're dynamic and that you understand the changing market, there's still a lot of potential for growth, even in these really difficult times. So, so good to hear that DC by Foot has had such success in the OTA and paid tour space. Now, it is a big change. And I'm wondering, what were the first steps you took when deciding to make that transition after you had had the conversations with your guides and settled on, on moving forward? How did you decide pricing, for example? You want to be valuable, but you also want to be competitive. Uh, so could you speak a little bit about that? For sure. So one of the discussions that we had as managers of DC by Foot was Washington, DC is a very different city because it is very close to American emotion, American history, American culture. So we wanted to make sure that our key signature tours remained name your price. So National Mall, you know, we don't, we did not make that a paid tour. Arlington National Cemetery, because of just the tremendous emotion attached to it, 
remains a name your price tour. Um, so, you know, for example, the memorial tour, the moonlight. So moonlight and memorial tour is also a name your price tour. So this, the signature DC tours where you come to DC and you have to see the National Mall, those remain name your price because we did not want to have any effect on those. We wanted to offer that service to all our guests and patrons. Our specialty tours, our curated tours, are what we made paid tours because those were nice to have and do in DC, but not, I wouldn't say 100% essential for everybody who's coming to DC, right? So now we're giving our tourists a choice saying, your must do DC tours are all name your price, so go for it. If you like those tours, if you like to do more tours with us, try these paid tour experiences with us. And so we took Ghosts of Georgetown, which is a spooky, really fun evening experience. First, we, we went with that first and, and we made that a paid tour. And so from there on, we learned that such specialty experiences could be paid, but the real core DC historic walks remained name your price. And when we said name your price, this is where my passion kicks in. I love crunching numbers. So you have to come up with data to say, okay, how much are we paying the guide? And what is our out-of-pocket cost per tour? Now, how do you recover the bare minimum, right? So how many guests need to go out on the tour to make sure that we are not losing money in conducting that tour? And you have to remember, we cannot offer large tours. We cannot have big groups. And we are selling the paid tour as a small, intimate experience. So we're capping it at eight to 10 people. And so basically, the numbers clearly showed us what we needed to make per tour to break even. And we estimated looking at the data that any tour that we were putting up on in peak season would at least sell four tickets. And then we just took that number and we divided that by four and we came up with our per tour ticket. Now, it's a little bit different with OTAs because obviously there is a commission share. You know, they're also working very hard to sell the experience for a fee. So then we have to load the tours in pricing a little bit more on OTAs so that we account for that commission. But any, any booking that comes directly on our website is a tad bit cheaper. Yeah. And that makes complete sense. And I think it's so good to focus on the numbers because otherwise it's just a guessing game and you're going to be wasting your time just waiting and seeing what sells best at what price. But when you're looking at the numbers and seeing what you need to charge and what's the best outcome for all parties involved, I think that's when you you get the best. Now, when you list on these different websites, uh, Airbnb experiences, Viator, Get Your Guide, do you use different strategies when listing on different OTA websites or essentially word for word put the same listing on each of the different websites? It's a very good question. Each OTA has its strength in different markets. Airbnb experiences still remains a very American um, company, American website, American visibility. Get Your Guide is a very German, European audience. It's a very international audience. TripAdvisor Writer is a good spread, but currently because of international travel restrictions, we are seeing largely American bookings. So our text is different on, on different OTAs because we are catering to different markets, different uh, languages sometimes. So we have to explain things a little bit differently. So yes, we have to definitely cater it. And they have their own 
strengths. They have their own regulations, their own way of presenting information, even word limit, picture limit, picture preference. So we have to tailor to their preferences and their criteria. Could you speak more about picture preferences, word preferences? Like, are you doing keyword research in terms of making sure that your listings are strategic and that they make it to the top of each of these websites? It's a very good question. Again, that is a very critical part of making sure that your listing is liked by the algorithm, you know, <laughs> and, and it's so much more than keywords, actually. So for, let me just start with picture. For example, Airbnb likes its pictures vertical, whereas Viator and TripAdvisor like their pictures horizontal. So there itself, like now when you're going out to do a professional photo shoot, you have to make sure you're getting different sizes, different angles for different OTAs. Then second thing is, of course, keywords, right? Like even though a tour may be about Lincoln, we want to make sure that people know it's in the in the vicinity of the White House because White House is a very searchable tourist keyword. So you always want to insert the right keywords. And, and they cannot be misleading because guests are smart. I mean, they're following what you've written. So you cannot say... You cannot say something that you're not going to deliver on the tour. So you have to be also extremely honest and true. The third thing that the algorithms like across all OTAs is availability. Your tour has to be consistently available. People are searching for a tour today evening. They may be searching for a tour tomorrow. They may be booking for four months out. So how? what is your calendar spread? It should, In my opinion, your tour should be listed for a year out. I know one year, it's crazy, but people plan that ahead, you know, yeah. and, and I always try to offer each tour, if not daily, you should try to offer every experience daily, at least three times a week, because the algorithm likes to favor tours that are available often because they, they want the chances of somebody booking to increase. And that can only increase if it is available often, if it's only available Every Tuesday at seven, you've cut off 90% of the, of the people searching to book, you know? So the availability is key, key, key. The, the last thing that I think the algorithm really, really likes is the cutoff time. So like I said, if somebody's looking to book a tour for tonight and it's already 3 p.m. and the tour starts at seven, the cutoff window to book that ticket should be four to six hours so that you get all the last minute people who are trying to book the experience. And the algorithm likes that also. Now, that can be logistically difficult. I can understand that because the guide has to go out and, and the information has to be shared. So I would recommend that it should be within 10 hours if you can manage. Of course, there are companies and experiences that we have listed for 48-hour cutoff. You cannot book it until, you know, it has to be minimum two days out. This could involve food or things like that, but we do need time to plan. But for most experiences, I would encourage the community to look at 10 hours or under. That's so interesting. I would not have even thought about the cutoff time as being a consideration in, in, in making your listing work well. Uh, now, you talk about having a calendar for potentially a year in advance. What about your cancellation policy? Do you have a flexible cancellation policy? Because, of course, in COVID, I think people are less willing than before to commit fully to something, you know, months and months in advance? It's a very good question, Kara. Actually, when the COVID hit in 2020, it was viewers just entering our peak cherry blossom season, you know, for Washington, D.C., that's a yeah. big time for us. <laughs> and we witnessed cancellations like never before. And we refunded all of them. 
we refunded every single guest who asked for a refund because we understood these were, you know, extenuating circumstances outside of their control. We follow a 24-hour cancellation policy. So anybody who cancels with 24 hours left for the tour, no problem, 100% refund. And most OTAs prefer that policy. And we've also had guests who've canceled within the 24-hour window and requested for a date change, which is totally fine. If you say, I can't come to Ghost of Georgetown tomorrow, but if you're running a day after tomorrow, I'd love to come. You know, that's totally fine if we can accommodate that. We always do it. And it usually always works out. But there have been times, you know, when the guests have canceled totally last minute, like four hours before the tour, and, and that is a non-refundable tour. That's very, very rare. 24 hours is usually a standard policy and we are happy to keep that. Yeah, I think that's a really fair, as a consumer um, and also as a business, I think that's a really fair for both parties. I'm curious, I mean, you said that you had to make this transition to paid tours because of the pandemic. And I'm curious to learn a bit more about what that has done for your business and and what percentage of the business is, is the paid tours and what percentage is still those public name your own price tours. So I would say that we haven't crunched the data so closely to give you an exact percentage, but what the pay tours has done for us is that it's given us the ability to employ back most of our guides who want to go back out and work. So at least the lives that depend on us and the the livelihoods of these fantastic guides, some of who've been with us for 10 years, are now making money again. So that was very, very important for us. And the OTAs and the paid tours allowed us that um, opportunity. The second thing it did is it allowed us to recover our losses of 2020 because we had an outright cash flow loss and and a loss in our books, and we were able to recover that. And I would say that if I were to give you a, a rough estimate of where we are now, thanks to about 50% paid tours and 50% name your price tours, we have reached 60% of 2019 levels of our business in terms of the financials. And it's not 100% of 2019 and 2019 looks so good now compared to 2020. (laughs) If I told you we are like 400% better than 2020. (laughs) But uh, yeah, I think 60% of 2019 is pretty good, right? So that's where we are at. Okay, that makes a huge difference. That's so nice to hear. And yeah, I love that you have guides that have worked for you for 10 years. I know some of those guides. And I I mean, it makes such a difference when business leaders are making business decisions with their guides or their employees in mind. And I feel I always felt very taken care of as a guide for DC by foot. And I think that's why you have guides who have stuck around for, for such a long time. Oh, thank you. Thank you. No, it, it, our, we are a company of guides, for guides, by guides. So, you know. <laughs> oh, it's so good. And now you went on to launch another company, Dubai by Foot, in, it was 2017, is that right? Yes. And has that followed the same business model? Do you offer both free tours and paid tours? That's a very good question, Clara, <laughs> because I tried in 2017 when I founded the company here to replicate the DC model and quickly realized it didn't work. <laughs> so first I put together a nice calendar for the signature tours to be name your price. The challenges of the region are very different. But the tourists don't realize that Dubai is a walking city, that you can have a nice walking tour. They somehow don't associate walking tours with Dubai. So the volumes and the awareness was very, very poor. 
and you you know basically if you go out and you have only two guests on the tour name your price or bread you're not going to make any money so we had to explain quickly to the guests and on the website that while we are part of the same family of dc by foot tours we're giving you the same quality and same level of expertise we are going to have to charge for these bookings because we're just not seeing the volume and guests were happy to pay and often i would have guests on my tours who would say you know i took one of your tours in in DC, I took the Ghost of Georgetown tour, I took the Lincoln Assassination tour. So I was really happy that we were getting business through our prior record. And so Dubai by Foot remains a paid tour company because also costs of doing business in Dubai are different as they are in, in DC. And it's a, it's a newer company. And then it also was affected very badly with the COVID onset because it was growing consistently every year. So from 2017, 2018 to 2019, I was seeing steady growth and I was hiring and employing more and more guides. It was very difficult to deal with what happened in COVID and we lost two peak seasons and our peak seasons are the winter months when the weather is beautiful. So we are hoping that we will see some return to tourism back this winter and our peak season will start around 1st of October. And we have a big expo, a big trade show coming to, you know, being conducted in Dubai for six months. And so we are hoping a lot of tourists will come and visit that. And we are hoping that vaccination rates are improving. But um, for Dubai, for me to comment on the financials, I need one more tour season to really (laughs) see how it plays out. It hasn't gotten there yet. Yeah, fair enough. That's so interesting. And there's so many lessons that we can be learned from launching tours in completely different countries or cultures. I think you really have to take in consideration those cultural differences because things that work in one place, yeah, definitely don't necessarily work in another place. And if you could share any other lessons that you've learned in building Dubai by Foot, I'd, I'd love to hear it. You know, it's like you said, the, the cultural nuances are what has been the biggest learning? For example, you know, as an Indian, I can comment on this. Uh, America is a very big tipping country. Yeah. And I noticed this when I went to college in America. You know, <laughs> you guys tip for everything. You tip the taxi driver and the waiter and it's like a culture. And that's why name your price tour, which depends on you tipping the guide, works. You know, your the guide explains the model, the guest tip at the end of the tour and, and it's name your price so they can tip whatever is their comfort level. And we've had guests from, you know, tipping from low amounts to high amounts, generous amounts. So we've seen a good average. The rest of the world is not like America. <laughs> <laughs> that, that tipping culture is not the same. And, and to be fair, it's not expected. In Dubai, we are not such a tipping city or country. Everything is factored into the price and and the service is excellent with no expectation for that tip. If you tip the waiter or you tip the guide, they're touched and we're very happy for it, but there is no expectation of it. It doesn't revolve around that tip. So the ecosystem doesn't support a name your price tour. That's one thing I learned. The second thing I learned is the perception of money. What you think $20 is worth in America is not 20 times the conversion rate and then you arrive at a, at a UAE dirham cost for that tip in the UAE. You know, it doesn't translate like it does in your head. No. In the US, we would say a $20 tip is very good. Thank you. But, you know, a $20 tip translates to about 
70, 70 dirhams in the UAE and it's not enough money for that tour guide to exist and survive. You know, so it's so many different things with calculation and purchasing power parity that I realized when I started to buy my foot. And I think if I were to launch this in India, it would take another level of understanding because I think the Indian market is even more different than Dubai. So these were the greatest learnings um, that I had. And, and I also actually talk about them in my book, The Ultimate Family Business Survival Guide. The main one is to be able to course correct. How do you survive against all odds? You, you know, there's so much change happening in our lives and our business, even without the pandemic. So, you know, some real life hacks and tricks to be able to make changes as you go in your plans. I love that. And I'd love to hear more about your book, how you found the time to write this book <laughs> during a pandemic, raising three children, fixing a, a company that was struggling, confounds me. Yeah, if you could just share a little bit about what inspired you to write it and some of the other learnings that you share in the book. Thank you. I really value this question because it really gets to the heart of why I did it. And I had started writing my book before the pandemic and it was stuck in limbo. I had about three chapters and and the pandemic um, gave me no more excuse to, to procrastinate. So I felt like I had all the time in the world and I had to finish it. I wrote the book because I have always been part of a family business and I understood the value of working and supporting my family and our business and the tremendous opportunity it offered myself and my brother. And I realized that in India, a lot of young people were feeling hesitant or deterred from joining the family business. And it's important for a country like India where about 80% of our businesses are family owned. It's essential that these next gens come in and take over the business and run with it and change the course of the business. So be it, but join it. You like it because these businesses preserve our economy, our stability, our heritage, our culture, our way of doing things. And I really, really wanted to help these next gens kind of talk through their doubts to feel like they're in a good place if they want to join it. Do you speak at all about the pandemic in your book? It's called the survival guide. So I wondered if that was a reference to that. Yes, actually, the book offers lots of ways to think about how to course correct and work with a scarcity of resources or a scarcity of time and and what the businesses need to do in the post-pandemic world and offers a policy framework in the post-pandemic world in the concluding chapters. So for sure, a big focus and the biggest question all the family businesses are asking around the world is how do we make sure we survive the pandemic and what does our business now look like? Yes, absolutely. And I'm curious, you know, how would you apply that to people who are just starting a tour business and they're feeling discouraged because of how difficult it's going to be in this post-pandemic world? Uh, what, what do you see for the future of tour businesses and how do you think tour businesses need to position themselves going forward? So I want to first put it out there that it is short term, you know, nothing lasts forever and, and this is going to go away. So we are all feeling anxious, but we are going to survive it. There is no alternative in this world for travel. 
there is a huge pent up demand for people to not just visit their families that they haven't seen in almost two years now, but to explore and to see things and, and expose their children to these fantastic cultures around the world and languages and food. So there is no alternative for that. Technology cannot ship something from Turkey to Washington, D.C. and make it taste that good or smell that good. So you have to go to Turkey to experience it. And travel is going to come back and it's going to come back in a very, very big way, very emphatic way. So I hope that this comes as an encouragement to everybody in the tourism industry. When that happens is our challenge. So we have to keep our costs super lean. So we have to make sure more than ever, we are counting on our family members for a ton of support. I would say if you can work from home, try to avoid paying any office lease or rent, like try to reduce your fixed expenses to the bare, bare minimum. Rely on friends and family for support. Don't feel embarrassed to ask for help. This is the right time to do it. Lean on the people you trust because they're happy to support you. And, and be true to your passion. If your passion is to give a certain kind of tour or do a, that's going to translate in everything you do. If food tours are your thing, just all you have to think is, okay, how do I make this experience safe so that people feel confident in coming back to it? They're going to come back to a food experience. If ghost tours are your thing, you know, just think about, okay, how can I spice it up differently? How can I add a pandemic story? You know, is the coronavirus a ghost? Like, how can we think creatively with our passion? Because it's going to do well. So much of being a tour guide and delivering a tour is personality. You know that. The story of Lincoln's assassination is only interesting if the guide gets really into it. And that is what we have learned. If you are passionate, your energy is just, you know, the guests are feeding off that energy and everybody's having a good time. So there is no reason for us to worry. I think tourism is going to come back just fine and, and, and the numbers will be really spectacular. And until then, we just have to ride out this wave. Uh, I, I completely agree. And I look forward to when those numbers start picking up again and we get back to those 2019 <laughs> stats that you talked and about. And even better. And even better. Absolutely. And I think that will happen because people want to travel now more than ever before. Uh, we're tired of being inside. Um, people are yeah, missing, missing being on an airplane. I never thought I'd miss taking a flight. I hate flying, but I've really missed it. But thank you so, so much. So if people do want to get in touch with you, learn more about you, uh, learn about your book uh, and, you know, take one of your tours. Uh, what are some of the places that people can find you? Oh, thank you. My book is available. It's called The Ultimate Family Business Survival Guide Across the World in, on Amazon, amazon.com.uk.ae.in. So, and in India, it's available in over 400 bookstores. So I hope that you can find a copy of it. And then our tours in Dubai are called Dubai by Foot and you can book them and I might be your guide. And in DC, you can book us under DC by foot. And my business partner, Candon, might be your guide. And, and you will have a really, really good time in any city with us. Yes, I can, I can definitely confirm that that would be the case. Uh, well, again, Pri, thank you so much for taking the time out of your busy schedule. I've really enjoyed it. You've shared some really great practical tips. And I feel very inspired to, I don't know, continue in this industry. So thank you so much for your time. 